So I'll take these um, questions. The word restraint brings up a lot of aversion in me. I feel as if it's an imposition on me. It is asking me to give up a known pleasure that can be felt now or soon for an unknown pleasure on the path that I may get to experience. It just doesn't add up. How do you see restraint? Well, I think actually the question is, is the agency of restraint. Mm, so it's an imposition on me. Well, who's imposing it? He is asking me, who, who's, what is this aversion that's asking you? Who's doing it? Who's the agent of it? So, mm, yeah. That's probably why there's a sense of aversion. Mm. Because the person doesn't see the, um, the reason for it, so just feels they have to do it to be obedient or something. Mm. And uh, so how do I, I see restraint as... Um, uh, a recognition that um, this mind by itself knows very few boundaries. It can think just about anything. It gets stirred up. It rushes out through the senses and it, uh, it suffers <laughs> because it gets careless and it gets... Uh, reckless and it gets um, intoxicated and it gets tangled up and uh, something is lost in that presence and stability and wisdom discernment so restraint to me is a voluntary um, uh, uh, response a voluntary response from uh, a bit of wise introspection. <laughs> so I think I was about um, 25 or 26 when the thought restraint began to occur. <laughs> Fortunately, it wasn't somebody who told me to do it. I just said, look, you know, this is going nowhere. I've got to, you know, really settle down and, and get some focus on what my intentions and aims and attitudes are because uh, I'm just running around the world doing this, that and the other and it's not, not doing anything useful. So I need to really get the mind to sort of just a pause and deepen into experience to understand it. Otherwise, it just scatters. Mm. Yeah. So this sense is uh, whether it's going to give rise to um, um, pleasure. I never thought it would give rise to pleasure, but it might give rise to wisdom. Because uh, I'd begin to understand more. You know, just following impulses, you don't really get to understand where they're going, the results of them even where they're coming from. They just get really compulsive and one feels uh, swept along by it. Something in me wanted to find some freedom. Recognizing following impulses 
uh, attractions, aversions, ideas without any mediation wasn't going to get any sense of depth. It was just getting me more scattered. So I wanted to deepen into presence, into well, what's it all this about? What's all this about? You know, there's people running around the world doing this, that and the other. What's it all about? I don't, I don't get this. So I need to just pause and collect and see if I can penetrate more deeply through that into motivations and aims in life rather than just following uh, conditioned reflexes. So for me it was a source of uh, uh, wisdom. Uh, and actually, so it, it didn't really give rise to pleasure, but it's sometimes rather difficult uh, to, to restrain. But in the long run, it, it, gave, it lessened the suffering and stress gave rise to a sense of composure and that became pleasant, becomes pleasant. Sense so your mind is you've managed to be able to supervise where you're going. Supervise what you give attention to. Gain some supervision. Yeah. And uh, recognize that one can be stopped, you don't need that. Oh, liberation. So it starts with that, with that purpose. Mm-hmm. So I'd just be aware that probably you're asking about the, um, you know, the motivation for restraint, that it's something that's imposed on you. you. No, you do it because you owe it to yourself. My, my, my advice to to really come to terms with where you're coming from in your life, where you're going, as it all ends, sometimes rather sadly and abruptly. (laughs) We want to come to to know the motivations, the aims that move us through just putting some checks and balances on it. The question person acknowledges they didn't remember exactly something I said this morning. (laughs) The person is asking about how um, right views and uh, and virtue put the body in position, puts the mind in position. That leads into right concentration and insight. The person acknowledges they may have missed or added some steps, and I think actually that's the case. Mm-hmm. So essentially, if I've got it right, mm-hmm. saying that uh, getting the right view is a recognition of cause and effect, and this is actually pretty central to the Buddha's presentation, and it's actually... Uh, uh, it's beautiful uh, because the general theme of it is if you get some mastery over what you engage in you can find your way to liberation yeah. and it's all conditions set that one up, this leads to this you take that one, develop this way it leads to that yeah. so sense restraint leads to clearer, deeper attention 
deeper attention leads to understanding skillful and unskillful actions. That leads to the establishment of conscience and concern, mindfulness and so forth. This leads to the arising of, of concentration or collectedness, the abandonment of the hindrances and so forth. Now I think I mentioned about the upright body and how the upright body helps the mind to become more upright. Um, this is more a matter of um, just the sort of you know, very immediate uh, basis. So you set up the, you understand what causes you can establish right now you're sitting quietly, well, you can begin to establish composure and clarity. And that's very much helped by having a steady body that's not causing you too much discomfort, where you can get a sense of ease. And that will help the, the mind to settle. The mind is settled, it begins to collect into itself and steady itself and begin to clear away distracting influences and that uh, is the that clearing away of distraction and the mind settling into itself is called concentration or samadhi the point being that uh, samadhi is a result of conditions and the conditions as a result of are fundamentally mindfulness and the elimination of the hindrances so it's not sort of concentrating on a particular point. Uh, yeah, it's, so that's an action. Yeah? Uh, and so it's not the action of focusing on a particular point, which can be done through mindfulness. It's the result of the clearing away of the hindrances. So the heart feels free and bright and settles into itself. This we call samadhi. And with that, there's a certain strength which resists the careless impulses, because the mind has got a certain gravity to it. It doesn't just drift off or go running around, it's steadied. So it resists uh, careless impulses, uh, it's also able to, to, if you like, really, you know, steady down on dispositions, on fundamental tendencies, such as the tendency to want to form an identity, to become something. So, well, actually, that is an action that's not necessary. You don't need an identity to breathe in and out. <laughs> You don't need an identity to walk up and down. Identities are useful for worldly tasks, but when you come to spiritual practices, they tend to get in, gets in the way. Uh, when you don't need an identity, you're getting pretty close to, to liberation. But that, to, to really see that, right, when I say that, people think, what's he talking about? <laughs> because we, we imagine identity actually is a real thing. Because everybody keeps telling you your name. 
you know, and what you look like and when you're born and what your gender is and what your nationality is, all this stuff. So we tend to believe it and do it to ourselves. Um, actually, that's imposed. That's imposed. And how good is that? <laughs> it's always kind of, you know, imperfect, could be better, same as not as good as her or better than him or something other, you know, and it's always something that has to be constantly sort of valued or dealt with. And just kind of, it's not about dismissing something that's real. It's about stripping off something that's just cumbersome. Because your heart is not an identity, it's not a person. It's, it doesn't mean there's nothing there. It just means it's not restricted to the limitations of gender, age, nationality, dispositions. It it's, can be free of that, and that, that's beautiful. Mm. Those, those are actions. And we need to sort of steady and find the chance to just begin to let go a little bit. Now, when you do a retreat, you are already... By doing retreat, you're already bringing around a, a degree of samadhi because you're restrained, you're collected, you know, you're gathering in. You, you know, just the very fact of commitment to it, there's kinds of things you're not doing and things you are doing. That quality of refraining from certain things and emphasizing other things, that's the concentration. <laughs> you're collecting. And you can see within that, you know, well, we don't have to make a big thing about who we are. You know, there's no better than, everybody's dealt, you've got a place to sleep, place to eat, it's not a big thing. There's no measurements or comparisons, it's a relief. <laughs> yeah. To just not have to do all that. Yeah. Uh, so you know, then, then, so that, that so this degree, even this degree of concentration or collectiveness that comes from the simplicity of relinquishment and steadying one's focus on what's really valuable, and you follow that that equation, you keep following that through and through and strong and more and more fully then you begin to think you don't need the worry, you don't need the grudge, you don't need the passion, you don't need the doubt. They're just, you're never going to solve them. You can, but then you, you get the power to relinquish them. And that, that power is the growing power of the collected mind. And of course this flows into your livelihood. Because you're a lot freer then in terms of how you live your life. You're much more Easy, less need. Uh, person is a bit of a perfectionist and they struggle with doubt from time to time. What is the nature of doubt and how to work with it? Well, I mean, let's, let's come up with an answer and see how you, how you feel about that. The way I understand the manifestation of doubt is it's... Uh, a uh, condition of trying to find an answer, it's a thought experience where uh, somebody's trying to get things figured out. What's the right thing? What's 
the right thing to do? What do I need to know? It's very much kind of like a head thing, searching for orientation, searching for steady ground. You know, what should I do? Where should I go? What should I be? Is this right? Do I understand this? We're looking for to be led by concepts and ideas. Yeah. And the, uh, of course, that you know, none of them are adequate because mm. they are just figments of thought. Mm. And this dependence on thinking uh, is from a deeper sense of doubt, which is a kind of insecurity. We don't fully trust and realize and feel grounded in our hearts. So we search for something to hold on to or to be affirmed by. Tell me I'm a good person. Say you like me or I'm doing well enough. This is all very understandable, very human. Then realize that ideas are not going to get clear that. Doubt in a way essentially is an emotional condition. We're trying to solve with an intellectual answer. You can't do that. Intellect never solves emotions. Emotional issue is profound. Life is very insecure. Mm. The resolution of that is uh, mm, cooling. And finding a, a composure, a collectedness within that stays with you. Yeah. And uh, this is why this the elimination of doubt is, uh, is, is ex- expressed through stream entry. As you have touched into something, some quality, some realization, some which is reliable and doesn't keep changing and doesn't go up and down. Uh, you know, you can put words around that, Dhamma, awareness, knowledge, knowing, insight, these are the terms that are used for it. And you realize you can't think it. And you can't get there with thought, but you can get there through deepening and steadying the heart. And you begin, then you realize in that, in that heart, the word heart sometimes is inadequate. There's a quiet, still place in the heart which you can reach into, which is not an emotion, it's sensitive, it's receptive, and it's steady. And we, we don't notice it because it doesn't, it's not, doesn't jump up and down. <laughs> It's not excited, so we don't really notice it because we're drawn out into things that have got more movement, colour to them. This is why, again, the whole pathway of, sorry, restraint, (laughs) renunciation even, (laughs) unpleasant terms, but is towards that, that reliable inner quality that's innate in all of us. And then, you know, this is something you can't really think about or even explain, but you can know it. And, you know, and go there, go there a lot. 
go there a lot. And you write, this one is, uh, you know, this is kind of what we are practicing, you know, around clearing these hindrances, which doubt is sometimes seemingly the least harmful compared with your will or senses eye. It's actually the most pernicious and undermining because it cuts away all foundations and can lead you very depressed. So when there is doubt, experiencing it, just go to the emotion of that and develop a lot of love, like a mother love or a grandmother love or a father love. Just, you don't, you know, the agitation, trying to be certain you're all right. There's no certainty to be found in that, but go in to where the doubt begins. There's a quiet place there that you're not noticing. Mm. Behind your thoughts, behind your moods, there's a quiet place. You can go there. And then that turmoil and shakiness ceases. This is the way I'm responding to it tonight. Some of these questions are archetypal and continue. Other teachers might express it in another way that you'd find more useful. But that's what I'm saying. Various questions on energy. I spoke about energy and awareness being open as opposed to being closed. I have a hard time visualizing that as energy and awareness are all contained within the body. Um, Another question about relationship between steadiness and the flow of energy through the body and mind. Mm. And how to turn to qualities in the body such as steadiness that support these same qualities in the citta. Well, Energy isn't actually contained in the body. It's a condition the body uh, inherits through life force. So as long as we're breathing in and out, the system is receptive to that and it's energized. Mm. But um, you can't create energy. It's, it's, you know, we're given it. And every time you breathe in and breathe out, you're recycling that. So in a way, it's dependent upon this mysterious life force that, that brings us into birth. Yeah. And the body inherits that. Uh, now, also the, the chitta, the heart, also inherits the same thing. It's, uh, chitta comes into, into birth. And these qualities of body energy, because the energy is in, you could say it's in the body or it's moving through the body. But you can recognize, for example, you look at a very simple manifestation of body energy, warmth. Now, if we will sit together in the room, the room will warm up because our warmth extends through the skin. You know, the energy permeates. Similarly, if somebody gets very happy or excited, 
then that heart energy tends to stimulate each and every one of us. So it's, it, it easily spreads through. It's a different, different um, domain than the normal physical domain. So you have what's called the karma loka, the sense world, which is to do with physicality, sights and sounds, and touch and so forth. Uh, So we experience the body in one sense, we experience it as tactile. We also experience something we can see, touch. So then we say, oh, the body is that thing that I touch or see. Those are very different experiences, aren't they? (laughs) Touch something is different from seeing it. Right? Yeah. So, which is the real body? And probably have an idea of our body as well. I'm five foot nine or whatever, black hair, this is what I look like. That's an idea body. And so we can carry that around as an idea of what we are. And so there are. <laughs> Uh, there's different aspects, aren't they? These, so these is not. You see, the, and then if you close your eyes and focus on your breathing, and the, the, that experience of breathing is called the breathing body. It's called a body amongst the bodies. With the breathing body, there's no ears, there's no hair. Uh, we don't. There's no gender. It's not big or small. It's not. It's just that. It's just the sense of a vibrant, embodied experience. And all of these bodies arise or can be sensed within awareness. We can be aware of all of that. These different forms. The karma loka is the body as defined by the senses. The rupa loka is the body as defined by energy. like a living body or a dead body they look about the same but one's got the vitality in it so this the energy body is a different different kind of body than the the visual one and that quality of energy is not contained by the physicality it's like something like you know you heat Heat is not contained in the body, it can enter, but it can also dissipate through the body. And in, 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 uh, so within this uh, uh, cultivations, we can experience what we call the subtle body, which is an energy form. You know, it sounds kind of eerie, but it's actually very obvious. You know, a certain energy form called the subtle body or kaya sankara, bodily formation. And as that's steadied, then the, the, the physicality of the body is no longer, can disappear. It's not we astral projecting, it's just the physical sensations die away. So then, that, then that's really not bounded by physical sensations and it becomes very bright, luminous. Now, this energy body is where the body and the mind link up. Clearly, if we think of the mind either as thoughts, that's manas, manovinyana, the thinking mind, or chitta, the emotional, heart, intentional, one that governs intentions. 
Now that in the, that heart mind, where we're sensitive and receptive, that yeah, that experiences feeling, feels, and feeling is a movement of energy. Right? You feel something, energy shifts. And when energy shifts, the whole thing shifts. It means your body energy shifts, your heart energy shifts. Right? You know, so if the heart receives an impact of some kind which gives rise to pleasant feeling, that quality of the shifting of energy is felt through in terms of the body's energy. Similarly, if the body is calmed, steadied and soothed, the jitta, jitta's energy is also calmed and steady and soothed. So they're very, they're, they're really relying on the same resource. So remember what contacts, the jitta contacts the inner body. But it doesn't necessarily contact the outer body, the physical body. Yeah. So you can be looking at a movie, for example, getting pretty interested in that movie, and you know, you're feeling your energies are swirling around. You're not aware of your physical sensations. So what affects the chitta affects the subtle body, but doesn't necessarily affect the physical body. Um, so this isn't bounded by the physicality. Mm. Yeah. Physicality is just one, one way of experiencing a body which, of course, is the one that we normally refer to. And that's probably the, the, the worst body you can get. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's a lot better. You can do a lot better than that. <laughs> okay, now awareness. So, it's, so actually, I was mentioning open awareness. It's a bit of a could be a long topic, but what I was referring to, I imagine, was you know beginning our deepening practice, a practice of deepening, you know, deepening, steadying, whatever you. I mean, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking to looking for some sense of a deeper purpose or clarification or just cleaning out, you're going into some depth process, right? Now, you see, that's your that's your purpose, and that's something you should bear in mind. When you bear that in mind, say, okay, well now let's just trust or ask myself to be aware, receptive and find out what is suitable to really give attention to. So in this sense I'm saying your, your intention and your awareness precedes where and how you locate attention. Yeah. So you might say, okay, it's really, I think it's suitable to be in, just give my attention to this physical body, sitting, standing, walking, or I need something more definitely distinct, then I'm going to do um, breath meditation or something like that. So you refer first of all to that. Why I'm saying this is because we, it's very common for people to just grab a mode of attention. Okay, right, now I'm meditating. So I'll focus on my nose, breathing in and out. And yeah, you could do that, but just before you do that, 
Why? Why are you doing that? Well, it says that's how you meditate. But why, you, why do you want to meditate? What's the point of doing that? Well, it says if I meditate, I'll get concentrated. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's just go right back as to how you build up that sequence of causes and conditions. Because what you're finding is as long as you lead with attention, the sense of intentionality, your intention is to do a particular strategy to do this so you'll get to this state and the agency is self trying to make it work and what you'll be aware of is a sense of trying to meditate and in that sense of trying to meditate you'll experience various problems difficulties that you can't mean you can't quite do it because this that and the other because you're trying to meditate. Now if you stop trying to meditate, stop trying, you're here, right? Something's here. What's that? How is that? Where do you find yourself feeling, how do you find yourself feeling steadied and calmed? How does it happen to you? What supports that? Get interested in your own welfare. Get interested in your own welfare. Not on doing some project. What gives rise to gladness? Self-respect. Authenticity. What helps you to settle into that? And we can use this body as an anchor or as a mooring post so our attention is not racing out. So it's adequate. The Buddha says you you practice mindfulness of the body just to the extent that is necessary for clear awareness and full comprehension. Just that much. So it's sort of a little bit more up to you. That's what we mean by the openness of it. And most of us, I imagine, will come through that open invitation. We'll probably find our way to, I like silence. That makes me feel good. Okay, be with that. I like just to feel warm-hearted. Okay, be with that. I really enjoy it when I could just sit and sense my breathing, releasing everything. Fine, be with that. There's a thousand ways to meditate. Every one of them's right. But what's right for you now? That's the open question. That's what's open. Now, so person suggested um, awareness is contained within the body. Um, oh, well, just check that out. <laughs> Which part of your body is it contained within? All of it. Which body do you mean? Phys- physical body? In your spleen? Gallbladder? 
lymph glands or the energy system. I wouldn't say it's contained in it, but those are, those are phenomena that can arise within awareness. Sights can arise within awareness. Sounds, memories can arise within awareness. Mental phenomena can arise within awareness. Mm. Subtle states can arise within awareness. Awareness is just the very fundamental property of being conscious. Normally it's bounded into respects. It's consciousness which is bounded by sense phenomena such as thoughts, sights, sounds, that creates a limit. So that awareness is then limited by sense, including mental. The other limitation is uh, the citta, search of stimulation. So it's constantly shifting things around. (laughs) So citta has to be calmed and steadied and consciousness stops. In other words, that movement towards thinking, seeing, touching can be relinquished as we begin to recognize these places are not going to give us final deliverance. Uh, But awareness can be awareness of that. And then that's called wisdom. So this word can be used, can cover a whole range of nuances, uh, but it's certainly not contained within the body. That's my, my thoughts on that. What is it to be receptive? Mm, it seems receptivity also includes a skillful way of evaluating too. Perhaps the other end of receptivity is being a doormat. (laughs) Okay, if you want to identify with a doormat. (laughs) No, actually, you see, receptivity is is just, um, I'm not saying this is some kind of final enlightenment or the only thing going, but receptivity is just a fact. We do receive experiences. We do receive sights and sounds. It happens to us. It comes. This is basic quality of uh, citta. Uh, consciousness is more passive. Just things happen. And citta is more receptive. In other words, it can sort of select and get interested. So we're very receptive to tastes, but I'm not that interested in your opinions. <laughs> I receive but kind of reluctantly but the tastes I'm really very receptive to <laughs> so there's a certain interest in that <laughs> and of course if we're really owning up to it say well let's just kind of get receptive can we you know, take it out of these preferences because then we're going to learn a lot more being receptive even to unpleasant phenomena Oh. So it doesn't mean this is great, but it means, okay, sometimes life is uncomfortable, sometimes things are boring. But if I'm totally receptive to it, I'm aware of that sense of 
receptivity. And it means that the, the difficulty doesn't overwhelm me, doesn't take over my mind. So as the Buddha himself, in his practice experiencing discomforts, displeasure, hunger, fear and agitation, so I didn't let the, it was unpleasant, I did not let it take over. I'm certainly aware of it, but it didn't take over my mind. I was experiencing refined degrees of pleasure in meditation, I didn't let it take over my mind. In other words, one's receptive to it, but not swayed by it. And this means the receptivity is, is another word for awareness, begins to be know itself. It's, a, it's first of all, it's just seemingly a kind of a, uh, you know, a kind of a fu- an underpinning for what happens. The main thing is the events, the input, the stimulation, the irritation, that's the big thing. I'm aware of it, but so what? Well, if you keep developing awareness, your awareness gets bigger than, 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 than the objects. <laughs> so you've got a sense of depth, strength, unflustered. It's there. Mm. Mm. So then, okay, so we can start with that, but remember that receptivity uh, for for an apprentice, someone who hasn't fully uh, realized that that strength, has to be carefully uh, bounded by sense restraint. Otherwise we just, the, the chitta, it's like an open mouth. You know, the receptivity of the heart's like an open mouth. And it will just take anything in. <laughs> just like you see a toddler putting coal in the mouth or, you know, eating junk. You say, you're going to, don't do that. <laughs> the jitters rather like that. Just gobble any sights or sounds or impressions. It kind of take it all in. So it's not just, no, that's not, that's going to make you sick. That one, so put that one down. <laughs> so re- receptivity is, is generally supervised by wisdom. Yeah. Now, this also means we're not um, going to be a doormat because your receptivity is also saying, well, you know, it's not good to be trodden upon. <laughs> uh, so that's passive, you see, that's passivity. Receptivity involves some degree of, of wisdom. I'm tuning into that, I open to that, I do not open to that. I do not let that take over. Mm. Might have time for a couple of questions more. Person experiencing walking meditation, I'm learning to trust my feet to lead me and adapt to uneven terrain. However, my shoulder and neck, especially left side, get tense. A reluctance to be at ease. I try to create spacious thoughts for my upper torso with only brief relief. Well, it seems uh, there's some, you know, if it's in your left side and there's tension, it seems that there's, you know, something's not completely balanced. There's too much energy going into one side of your body 
and it's tightening up. So tension is generally excess energy that's got locked up. You know, like, a, like water that's become ice, it's just got locked in there. And the overall strategy is to um, include a, a tense areas so you, you're aware of that, and rather than trying to think a spacious thought, um, you connect, okay, it's the left side, what's happening in the right side? And how do they connect to each other? So the right side's not tense, the left side is tense. So where, where does the tension stop if it's not travelling into the right side? So we, that's interesting. So let's cover both sides at the same time. There's the left side, there's the right side. And where's the boundary of the tension? And as you're moving around, with your legs moving, your feet moving, your shoulders moving, your waist is flexing, those subtle movements hmm? and something can that be felt through the entire body can the left side and the right side be unified you might need to slow your pace since it's so important to get the whole body as a unity you might say what if I walk a little slower or smaller steps, or even just stand for a while. And focus on getting this body to feel a whole thing without one part being tense, tenser than the other. Yeah. It's not unusual for our bodies to be imbalanced. Most of us probably right-sided. And so the remedy that I practice is to uh, feeling one area has got too much energy in it or it seems hotter or stronger or heavier or more tense. Draw an awareness there and just drag your awareness like, like a extending it from the strong side to the weak side, tense side to the loose side and slowly and repeatedly. And particularly if one's sending a moving energy through that, such as breathing or walking, this is like an internal massage. It helps those something that we can't un- we can't understand why it's like that, and thinking isn't going to change it, but the body can change it through these moving energy through it. Mm. I was asking about one of the subjects of frequent recollection. Could the wise find fault with my conduct? (laughs) Dear, what what exactly are the wise looking for? (laughs) It's kind of figurative. I don't think the wise are like some panel examining everybody. (laughs) It's a recollection like... You know, if the Buddha saw me doing this, what would he think? Oh dear, it wouldn't be so good, would it? I think I'll put that down. <laughs> you know, so it's something like that. Could, could my spiritual companions, could the wise find fault with my conduct? I mean, yeah. if, uh, so it's a way of getting this sense of uh, uh, a conscience of concern. You know, am I wasting, am I just, you know, kind of goofing off or... <laughs> 
indulgent or um, you know not using the time wisely you know? so just so it's, you know, the wise are really are something you you know uh, that you kind of have a sense of this is this is not really this isn't i'm not i'm not living up to my my standards okay so let's pause there thank you and i hope some of that is of use or if nothing's been useful then <laughs> get over it and say other teachers will probably answer those in different ways and you may find your own answers also.